Blair, how are you? Yeah, how are you? I'm good. So let's talk about your career in comedy and you. So what got you inspired into comedy? What got me inspired to do comedy? Um, I started loving comedy for as long as I can remember since I was a little girl. Uh, I was a little girl in the 70s, so that was a long time ago. Um, I remember listening to George Carlin and repeating all his bits and Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy and Steve Martin and Robin Williams and lots of people uh, in the 70s, you know, like well before I turned 10, six, seven, eight, nine years old. Um, and uh, people in my life disabused me of the notion of wanting to be any kind of entertainer for a long time. And so essentially I kept ignoring it and ignoring it and ignoring it and circling around closer and closer to it until I finally started stand up in earnest. I had done a handful of kind of open mic sets, but in earnest, it really started stand up when I was 43 years old. I don't necessarily uh, uh, recommend starting at 43. I think it's a little <laughs> late, but better than never. Yeah. And you certainly have accumulated some material at that time. Um, I did, uh, among other things, um, I was a lawyer, I became a media lawyer decided that wasn't fun enough. Uh, I, after about two or three years, I went into what was then the William Morris mailroom because I thought it'd be more fun to be an agent than a lawyer. I was various kinds of agents and managers. I, I was a speaking agent here in town, uh, lecture agent for famous journalists, politicians, etc. for a few years. I decided it'd be more fun to be a comedy agent or related. I went to, uh, Second City in Chicago and work for them in-house as a booking agent, not, you know, just for like corporate events, private events, university, blah, blah, blah. Uh, then decided more specifically wanted to work with stand-ups. Um, I became a manager slash booking agent. Moved back to, I split my time between DC and New York. My uh, original clients were uh, Rory Scovel, Kamal Nanjiani, and um, Jared Logan. But I also worked for a guy who represented a lot of other people. Those folks were not very well known at that time at all. They weren't known. Um, and then the and I started something called DC Comedy Fest, um, which happened for four years. Um, somewhere around here, I have some collateral material to prove that that was a thing. Uh, a lot of people in it who are now some of them very very famous, um, but all were pretty well known then too. Um, the world fell apart, the financial crisis hit, um, my uh, husband came into his own in his now recovered but not then alcoholism, all kinds of fun things happened, and I shut it all down right around when I was about to turn 40, moved to North Carolina, where I took a job similar to what I have now at a TV station there, uh, with my husband and I, and we lived there for a long time, and um, just when things just like when there was nothing left to lose, finally, in Wilmington, North Carolina, uh, where I was very lucky that it was a very good comedy club. After living in New York and DC and Chicago most of my life, that is where I started stand-up comedy, in Wilmington, North Carolina, two hours from Raleigh. It, it's not a hub, it's not an entertainment hub, Amy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then, 
I just kept going. I just, I'd be the one thing from being uh, my past jobs, past careers was that I, I knew how much you had to work. I knew those people who I'd worked with earlier. I knew all the things they didn't get when they had hoped, wished, maybe should have, whatever that means, gotten them. I was not under a lot of illusions either about the age at which I started, uh, but I just didn't really care. And the freedom of being in a smaller, much smaller city, but that had a great club that great comics wanted to come perform at, not a small, not a big one, it had like 100, 110 seats, um, was that, you know, I got a lot of stage time. Also, I was given a lot of leeway to, um, to do some, I do some odd kinds of not normal stand-up stand-up. Um, and because I had done improv, I'm sorry, did I mention, I did improv in DC for a lot of years in there um, with um, comedy sports and then a wit sub-chapter. And uh, so I at least was used to getting on stage and I wasn't afraid of that. I was, in fact, when I, <laughs> I actually say the great benefit of improv for comedians would be stand-up comedians is that you're very used to being on stage where you say something that you think is going to be funny, but nobody agrees. Uh, but you have to stay there. You can't just leave. So uh, you get used to that, having to rebound and yet stay on stage, not just run away. Um, and then I just, so I just knew I had to work my ass off. I knew I was never going to get enough stage time just, you know, after a certain while, after doing it enough, then I'm like, yeah, I'm going to keep doing this i'm like well i'm gonna have to travel to get more stage time because there's just not enough stage time in wilmington north carolina uh, so i would i started driving to raleigh and charlotte and Charleston, south carolina and up and then little gigs all over the carolinas and south and all over and then and applying to festivals and eventually starting to get into those and then um right before i moved up here back up here um and I'd say the first year I was here. So I've been here, I've been back here. What is it, 2020? I've been back here two, maybe two and a half years. Um, I, you know, I was, I just knew I was outgrowing, even with the driving and the, I just knew it wasn't gonna be enough. So I looked for jobs now in my new career in uh, DC and New York. Um, my husband preferred DC, but also more importantly, like, you know, now I'm old and I'm used to living a certain way. So I, I, you know, if I was going to get a job in New York, it would have to be so great that uh, it could pay me so much money that I could like, you know, we could afford to live in not a studio apartment with two cats. So um, among other things. So um, I got a job here. Eventually I changed uh, after about a, after a year at one station, I moved to the O&O NBC station, which is a fantastic marvelous place to work in Washington, D.C. or anywhere. Happens to also have the benefit of being a pretty well-established company in New York. And um, I, before all this happened, I was I was getting up to about pace. I was going to New York at least once a month, um, sometimes twice a month. So, and then touring and doing whatever feature work I could. The last thing I did before, comedy-wise, before we went into pretty universal shutdown and I started working my day job from home was um, I featured uh, for, oh Jesus Christ, I can't remember anything anymore. I featured for at a club in Phoenix. Um, 
and um, and now it's sort of like an interesting time to figure out, well, what do you really want to do? Because I also was getting fatter and fatter and eating less and less well. And what I'm doing now is I'm going back to March to say, who the fuck did I? He's a great, Mateo Lane. That's who I featured for. I'm a moron. He's fantastic. I just can't remember anything anymore from the before time. Um, so, Now's a great time to figure out what you really, really, really want to do. Because you probably can't do it anyway, but you might be able to figure out in after times uh, send me halfway strategy. Yeah. Or a seven and a half hour answer to your first question. Actually, <laughs> three questions will be here for 17 hours. <laughs> um, well, the second question is what inspires your material? Um, I don't have one answer about that. I don't like a certain kind of topic comedian. I will say that um, if something gets a big reaction out of me, if something really bothers me or annoys me, mind you, these are not important things that anyone should care about. But I just have a habit of going down rabbit holes and being like, finding very strange connections between things uh, and exploiting them. And so if I find something like somewhere on the level of, oh my God, can you believe this is a thing? Did you know this? Um, then I, I can often make something out of that. But also just my day-to-day -day life, I, you know, in, not really anymore, but typically I would walk around with a notebook and I would scribble every little thing down and, um, not, you know, or text myself. Now I mostly am sitting here, so at my desk, so it's, you know, not hard to jot things down. And, um, and then every, like, couple weeks, um, I would look at, like, what I had written in the crazy ideas in the notebook. And then usually, like, Somewhere between one day and three minutes before going on stage at an open mic, I would try to think about how to phrase that, that I think it's funny and what the main hit points might be. And then I would go try it. And then I'd go try it again and again and again. And if I did my seven to 10 mics a week, I would, by the end of the week, it's not that the joke would be in its prime shape. It's more like I could tell if it was going to be worth trying out, you know, for longer, for the next month or two. Uh, and, and play with it. And um, so, you know, I have plenty of jokes about my life. In the end, um, because I am a loud person and I have a certain personality on stage, uh, and it just works for me, but I tend to be the, the butt of my own jokes in the end. Even if I might talk about my husband or say something silly about someone else, in the end, for anything big, I tend to be the butt of my own, the, you know, I'm not making fun of, uh, other people that you would identify with. I might be making fun of something like a little bit of like up with people or Al Hurt, although not exactly in a bit like the history of Super Bowl halftime shows, which is a flip chart thing. But um, in the end, I'm also just the whole personality. It's all making fun of sort of my reaction to the thing as well. I, I don't usually flat out make fun of other people. Yeah, that's good to know. Um, I like that. So that kind of brings me to the next question is like, 
uh, is there a difference between who you are on stage versus who you are off stage and what your persona is kind of? I think so, although I'm not sure other people who are around me very much would agree. Um, I, um, I am loud. I do sometimes have a very short fuse. I'll tell you after I get off stage, I'm very relaxed for a long period of time. Um, I don't just, uh, I, I have a, I've been told that I'm a little bit more reminiscent of Louis Black than say uh, Tina Fey or somebody like that. Mm -hmm. It's not a stand-up, so that makes a lot of sense. But um, I think if you have brown hair and glasses and you're over 30, there's an excellent chance somebody in your female, someone's going to identify as female, somebody as a stand-up is going to tell you that you remind them of Tina Fey. And I often say, actually, no, I, I don't. And also, she's not a stand-up comedian, but that's fine. Um, the, I, I think I am not as uh, bombastic there's a certain amount of that that's true and a certain amount of that that's like stage version, but it's not not true. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's partially true. Yeah. I think I'm a little nicer to people in real life, I like to think. I'm also a little more um, very ADD, like legit ADD, like I was diagnosed before there were cool drugs that made you skinny. And so like, you know, it's true. You, like they're diagnosing you and there's nothing, there's no fun at the end of it um, from the diagnosis for many years. So that's how you know it's real. Um, so I think I am a little, uh, though I may have a bit that goes down a rabbit hole, it's very organized on stage. I, um, my thoughts tend to be less organized uh, in real life <laughs> until I make them organized. Mm -hmm. I understand that. Are so, you bored now? No, I'm not. I'm intrigued. Um, well, well, that's not good for either of us. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, there's, so I'm not like that person, but I'm not entirely not like that person on stage. Yeah, like. no, I get that. Yeah. So you performed um, like all over, I guess, but not all over, but like you performed quite a few different places. I performed all over, Andy. I performed oh. all You San performed Francisco, all over. Texas, Minneapolis, Boise, Idaho, Phoenix, Carolinas, play all kinds of places. Why? <laughs> Well, um, what's and a I, but you'll notice I still have a day job. Yes, that's true. So, what is it like being a woman in comedy in the DC scene and all of those other places you performed at? In a woman in comedy in what? I'm sitting here that first. Uh, a woman in comedy in the DC scene as well as all of the other places you performed at. Well, I preface this by saying I started when I was 150 years old, and I think <laughs> that, and the reason I think that, and also. It was very loud. I had been on the other side of the business. And though I might be intimidated by certain comics, sort of, not intimidated in like a, but just like, oh, you know, I knew and that person's really funny. And my job used to be like a professional finder of funny people. Like I could fucking tell when someone's more than just kind of funny in this basement room where there's 17 audience members. And so, I kind of still get excited about that. 
kind of thing. Um, but it's so I I say those things in that I think it's I have a certain perspective, and also I think I give off a certain energy um, where there's some things that happen to younger women that don't happen as much to me, or at least not in the same way. So I'll give you an example. Um, women in comedy uh, often um, are relentlessly hit on. Uh, men, producers, not everyone, I'm just saying a lot. Sometimes it's by comics, sometimes it's producers, but sometimes it's just the fucking audience members, like after the show, especially in a casual setting, you know, it's, we're not at like the DC improv main room or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's like you did the show and now you're sitting like two feet from the audience when it's over um, or you're outside or you're, you're at the bar or whatever. So, um, and I am very much married. You can hear that in some of my material. Um, you know, I wear a, a wedding ring and also, you know, now I'm 50 years old. And so there's some, uh, a lot of guys, I say guys, cause women, even if they thought I was super hot, wouldn't typically wouldn't pull some of the stuff the guys do. Sorry guys. Um, and so, so sure they think I'm white hot, but they're nice about it. Um, women are, but the, so there's certain things that I don't have to put up with as much. On the flip side, however, I am often invisible until I get on stage. If they, I have had this not, I don't mean this in a cocky way. I don't think it's, um, there's nothing cocky about it. It's just the way it is. I have been in many, 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 many green rooms, whether it's at a festival and everybody already knows each other because they've done X, Y, and Z or they're mostly from New York or LA or I'm, you know, when I first moved up here or whatever it might be. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not overly chatty with people I totally don't know just sitting around a green room. Uh, I just like to get my, and I'm pretty of a weird kind of focus right before I go on, a lot of people do. So it, afterwards, you might think I'm not funny, but you, you, you didn't not remember me, you, you, you notice. And also I think people don't realize because I was in, started in North Carolina that I did a lot of comedy there. I had a lot of comedy when I was living down there and um, a lot of it all over the place in all kinds of rooms. And so I, I think that unfortunately um, it's perhaps not as bad as it was, but unfortunately you kind of, you, there's different kinds of sex in them. And one is, you know, there's that women aren't funny. It's like, yeah, fuck you, just whatever. That's not usually the main thing, but whether that happens these days, but what happens is either women tend to get either hit on or not hit on or graded in the way they look much more than a guy on stage or if you get past a certain age or you're not like classically hot whatever that fucking means or whatever it is i'm just trying to say it's not just age or you're invisible right and you have to extra prove yourself so fine um i'm old enough that i don't give a i i just ignore all that because 
it's uh, it's uh, it's not fair, and you're never going to change it in that green room that day. And so the best thing you can do is not focus on that because uh, you've got a set to do. And the best um, way to overcome being visible is having a really fucking great set. Um, and I will also say, because I had DC Comedy Fest and other things before I left, and then I came back, and which is interesting to me because in Atlanta, in, in Charlotte, in Raleigh, in Wilmington, North Carolina, even to a certain extent back in the day in Charleston, there was always women who ran things and in comedy entities, different places, whether they were the manager of a big club or they had their own like indie production thing. And when I first got here, it seemed a little less there was a little less of that, which is odd to me because I don't know. I figured DC is so big and progressive and all this stuff. But what I thought is really interesting is that in the last year or two, is that people still talk about like who the killers in DC comedy are. And I'm not going to try to sit here and list them and who they may or may not be or who came out of here. But when I look objectively for my former life, is a manager and a booking agent for comedians and a scout. I mean, I look at, you know, uh, Brittany Carney, who's gonna have her, own, who's been at the cellar now for the year and a half. You know, she's been in New York for two years. Maybe she's, you know, been passed there for a year and a half or something. She's um, the, um, a Frankie French, who's in Variety's top 10 comedians to watch of the year. That's. I can't even fucking tell you how big that is industry-wide to be on that list. It doesn't mean you're dead if you're not on it, but it's just a big fucking deal. And to have won the NBC stand-up competition, if you went back and looked at the alumni of that, you're like, oh, they all have their own TV shows or whatever. Um, look at, at Paris Sachet, who's done a lot of TV, who was in Just for Laughs. I look at that, I, even somebody like, um, oh God, oh, uh, I'm, it's been a while since I've seen a lot of people. Like, I'm trying to think of someone. Okay, like Denise Taylor, who, I mean, I'm not like best friends with Denise. I don't know her whole life or any fucking thing like that. But I know she was contributing writer to some degree for The Onion. And so I, I get very confused. I get very confused. This scene confuses me because there's some would be gatekeepers who don't seem to acknowledge like on the whole, the women who have really made an impact in the last, I'm just gonna say two years or so, because that's what I have the knowledge about, I have been women. And it's just odd to me, it's kind of like, it's a little bit like, the, it's almost a benefit because the women here feel a little frustrated earlier than they might and they're like fuck it i'm going to new york or fuck it i'm going to la or fuck it i'm going to submit to the onion or and it's like well, fine you're not gonna let me through i'm gonna go around you i'm just i don't not gonna argue about it i want to have a whole fucking thing i'm busy but i'm going around you <laughs> and that's what it feels like to me yeah i can see that did you know natasha rothwell is from the dc scene i didn't know that Oh, absolutely. She was at Washington Improv Theater for many years. I feel like she went to Maryland undergrad. Uh, you have to Google that. She was like assistant coach of my terrible subversion of the uh, of Wits team. Um, and Jubin, he's not a, well, let's not talk about it because we're talking about chicks, but yeah. 
Yeah, so yeah, and people was like, you know, I mean, I'm not saying like Dave Chappelle isn't great, but like, you know, Wanda Sykes is from here too, and there's other, it is interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I come from a different generation of which you're just used to this shit. So the idea that we talk about it now is very amusing to me in a way, um, because it's not like, it's like, yeah, no, we know. We just didn't have a choice. We're just going to keep, we're just going to keep going forward. And a lot of it's not on purpose or whatever, but most importantly, I'm not here to get in any arguments. I'm just much like uh, any number of those other women I was talking about. I'd rather just, I'm just going to go around you. There's just too many things I can do without you to care that, you know, that you're, you're, you're saying like you book all these women, but when I look at your list, you're booking like two women out of every 12 comics or something. Yeah. But there's a lot of really great comedy goes on here too. There's a lot of really funny men and women and, and you know, gender non-specific people in the DC scene. So it's not, it's like, it's like a pebble in the shoe but I just don't have time to worry about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that. So the more, and I honestly, this is unfair. And it's not that like I, when I book shows, I try to book as balanced a show. It may not be perfect show to show, but if you look over the arc of like, if this show has been on for a year, the diversity, the gender diversity, the racial diversity, the religious diversity, it all makes sense when you look at it and it's like, okay, every, you know, everyone's, really there's a good mix um so i worry about those things and i think about who i want to perform with and what my goals are and that is um in the end when funnier and funnier people are doing that making those choices then worrying about any one producer or one show or one venue or whatever becomes irrelevant because over time the talent erodes um i guess i don't know of course, comedy club. That's like something from the old-fashioned days when we used to have those. <laughs> um, that was some great insight. Thank you for that. So what are your th- favorite places to perform in the DC scene? What do you consider is a good night for you? How many times did you... What's this what? I'm, I'm having trouble hearing you. It's probably my computer. All good. So where are your favorite places to perform? Uh, what do you consider is like a good night for you and how many times did you perform like in a week um i guess pre-covid what do you mean what's a good night for me so um i know some comics like if they get like a certain number of like jokes in that's a good night for them or like a certain number oh. yeah or like a certain number of laughs not like, like how much love i was fake love i was given that <laughs> Like from strangers clapping. Um, I'm not going to tell you. I, I will, any venue, I'll work at any venue. They're all great. That's what I'm going to tell you. Because, And I don't care how many people, I, I get annoyed when comics who are at least just essentially local comics, we're basically going to get up and do the same set they've done a thousand times, or they're going to do new jokes that are untried, get annoyed because there aren't 50 people in a room on a Tuesday night. You know how many fucking of these indie mic shows I would go to if I were, A, not in the business and not a comedian on a fucking Wednesday night at 9, 30, 10 o'clock? Yeah, not a lot. So um, I, I'll i do a show for three or four or five people. I mean, maybe not paid if I could do anything else on a prime time, 
But when if it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, uh, depending on the week, Thursday night, I'm trying to just do as get as much reaction as I can from comics or not comics to my new joke or my new arrangement, or I'm doing, or I'm somebody's going to give me 20 minutes to do a, a whole chunk in a new order. It's 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 not new jokes, but it's uh, there's little new tags and other things, and I'm trying it in a new order because I have a headlining set or a feature set coming up. So, um, you know, I'll I'll perform lots of places. You know, I have my home club in Wilmington, North Carolina, Dead Crow is fantastic. There's no we we're, there were no clubs besides the DC Improv when I left here. And by the way, the DC Improv is a great club. So is underground so is armed draft house so is dc comedy loft so is insert all these places like so there's plenty of good places there's all kinds of indie shows that are great i just uh i'm at a point in my career where i'm just interested in somebody who's gonna not be a dick who's the producer not let me you know let's see what year is it 20 i've been doing comedy stand up seven years let's say so um, not, not gonna waste my time. That doesn't mean they have to put me first or last or whatever, but I just wanna get in a certain number of reps and those, the goals might be different week to week to week and how much time or how much new material versus old material and everything else. So when it comes to the same venue, all the fucking venues, all the venues I'll do. And I, I just think it's interesting that people who are mostly doing comedy here in DC or like, oh yeah, that audience sucked. It's like it's Tuesday night at nine o'clock. We're in a you know a bar. You know, there's eight. I would never be here in a million. You you know how lucky you are that anyone is fucking here who is not on the lineup. It's a fucking miracle. So do your thing, and why don't you bring the energy instead of demanding the audience bring you the energy? Don't get me wrong. There's good audiences and bad audiences, but I, I just. Why don't you make it a great experience instead of relying on the audience for always making a great experience for you, or at least try. Sometimes it just fucking sucks. Um, I'll, I'll work a dinner party for five other people. That sounds great to me. Um, the A good week for me, I averaged, it sort of depended because if I'm doing, if I'm headlining like a local headline thing, so I'm doing we only headline is 45 or more minutes, but sometimes here it's 30 or 40 minutes. Um, you know, I might have fewer sets, but if I did two 40 minutes, you know, on a Wednesday and Thursday, and then I went featured somewhere, that might only be six or seven shows that week, but it was a lot of time and you know, I, I can work new jokes in there, play with old ones um, with the material I'm comfortable with. If, I, if it was just a straight up kind of like I'm just doing mics and sets or showcases kind of week, you know, I really tried to not go below seven or eight. Um, I often would mentally have the goal of 10 so that, you know, if I got seven, you know, shoot for the moon, reach the stars kind of thing. That said, I don't think I was necessarily was helping myself or that it was healthy. Like I sit here and think about it now and how many times what I started to do right before um, the shutdown is try to get one night a week, let's say a Wednesday night, I got to the point where I could go to three mic showcases, whatever you want to call them, at three different places that started slightly different times. And I could try these 
new bits or new tags or whatever it is three times and like say, okay, that didn't work. I'm immediately going to try it somewhere else. Okay, I'm going to immediately try it somewhere else. So instead of trying to get a million sets of these little sets, 10 in a week, you know, I'm getting to the point now where I would prefer to have one night where I'm doing three and then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I'm doing real shows where I'm doing at least 20 minutes, let's say, 15 or 20 minutes. Um, and just being here in quarantine, and look, I've lost about 20 pounds since I've been in quarantine. Uh, yeah, no, it's just uh, includes the five pounds I gained in quarantine. Huh? Mm -hmm. start. Um, I um, I had, we got to the point where I was exercising. I mean, I have a very, I do not have a slack day job. I have, a, I have a day job that has a certain amount of flexibility to it in where I work from, especially now, and, you know, any given time of day, I have, you know, I may have my, I kind of get to decide what the priorities are, what needs to get done first. But at the end of any given week or month or quarter, I'm very much graded on certain criteria. And so stuff has to get done. So I have, it's, you know, I'm not like working construction, but I work a good 50 hours. It's something that can be really fun. And sometimes there's not too, too much going on. Uh, and sometimes though it's really stressful and a lot of little things have to happen at work, work having to do with production or whatever. And there's a lot of adrenaline, a lot of energy. And, you know, I can't start my job at 11 o'clock in the morning. So um, that's fine. I pick it. This is, it's great. And if uh, any of them are listening, I really do like my day job. Thank you very much. But the, um, and I have a day job because I think the idea of that you, the kinds of, the way things are set up now and the fact that there hasn't been a real uh, pay increase in comedy, you know, up till you get to a certain level in many years, like in the club scene, it's, if you want certain opportunities, if you want to go to a festival that's prestigious, uh, you, you're going to need to have money to get there. So um, I, I'm not sure, as I sit here in quarantine, let's see, in six months, May, June, whenever things get semi back to normal. I don't think it's before April and it might be June. Um, and what is normal? I don't know. Let's see how many people take their shots. But I um, I don't know that I would do it exactly the same. There's, there's a lot of diminishing returns about the mic, especially after you've been doing it a year or two. Like, you know, how much was I going out there and trying stuff I saw off, off the top of my head when I could have gotten home and thought about some things for an hour and gone out the next night. So I I tend to write more by doing because I refine, or refine it more by doing, but there has to be a balance there because, um, you know, I wasn't getting a lot of sleep and I wasn't feeling so great. And I don't drink when I go out and do before sets or anything too. It's got nothing. Oh God! If you added a hangover in there, it, life would be untenable. But no, I. Um, but it's just, and I, I had other projects I would do. So I don't know. I, I don't know if I would recommend necessarily to somebody to do it the way I did it before. I, I let's see how things shake out in a few months. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think? You kind of touched on this a little bit throughout your answers. So. What do you think needs to be improved in the DC scene or in other, you know, comedy scenes which you were part of? I mean, anything that I think needs to be improved is just 
I would like to have a magic wand and make people, uh, everyone in the world, not racist, not sexist, not homophobic, and not just sloppy. Just like you said there was a show and now you you got here 45 minutes late. Like I, my time matters too. Well, and I would like people on the club circuit to get paid like enough so that could be your real job. I'm not talking about living high on the hog. I mean, being able to afford your airfare to get to the gig. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's that kind of stuff. But what would you, what would I change? I'm like, in, I'm not, I'm not here to change the DC scene. It is whatever, or any scene. I, I'm not trying to harsh on the, because I'm a Gen Xer and we say things like harsh on. I'm not trying to harsh on the DC scene. It's just that, you know, you mentioned it and we're based in this area. But I mean, what needs to change? Nothing. I want there to be every opportunity I can get. And uh, I think everyone, all the clubs should book me every weekend. Uh, and, you know, everyone should follow me on Instagram. I mean, I'm not. Uh, Anything I want from the DC scene or any scene that I might be in the future has to do with a kind of equality that is not exclusive to comedy. So um, it can be worse in comedy maybe than being at a law firm, but I've been a lawyer too, and I've got news for you. <laughs> you know, uh, it's not it's not some like re- you know, it's not some playing field of reason and, and equality at, at that either. So that's the same things I would want in comedy. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm past wanting other people to change. I guess if I had one thing to change, it would be, I would think, I would hope that good, smart, organized people who um, love comedy and may or may not love performing um, would really dive in and produce over the long time series of ongoing shows indie producers not necessarily open a club but hey go ahead do that too um, because sometimes and this is not specific to DC either uh, sometimes the people who wind up running shows tend to be people who like maybe, you know, for whatever reason they have it. They're not necessarily the people who are best at it. Sometimes the people who are best at it also have other options and obligations. So, and and if some of those would be more women uh, and who were, you know, this is a totally outdated phrase, but you know, just, gutsy, like fake it, just go out there and fucking do it. These guys, like these fucking other people who started their stuff, yeah, they've been doing it for however many years now, but it didn't start that way. You don't start being the top show and whatever. You just go and put on a fucking great show for eight people. And then eventually it's 16 people and so on and so forth. And then you move venues or whatever it is. Um, but I would just wish for comedians that being fantastic is really the best way. It's harder if you can't get booked. And so really the only thing I want is I would want more shows that are great, more opportunities and more, not egalitarian because funnier people get booked more, people who work harder tend to get funnier, but more uh, 
egalitarian in that like people would open their eyes and realize like oh yeah you think that guy is twice as funny than the woman who he started at the same time as well he was given you know five shows a week because he amused these other guys who ran these shows even though they weren't big deal shows he got to get up and she got two so yeah then a year later he's going to be better you know i don't i, I don't I'm trying to make my thing and hopefully the people who would like that kind of thing find me. And also just not take a bunch of shit from anyone. This is not worth it. Sorry, we've talked so, I've talked so long that your earbuds have died. Okay. <laughs> Very sad. So um what are your dreams and your hopes for comedy? Your future, I guess. My dreams and what? Your dreams and hopes for comedy, your future. Dreams and hopes? You know, it really depends on the day. Some days, I wish that I could have 250,000 Instagram viewers and just do uh, my flip chart, flip out Fridays uh, from my house and people just Venmo me money. That sounds great. Um, I would love a show like a... a a drunk history. I mostly I like shows that are very uh, niche and that get canceled before their time. Uh, so I, maybe I'm not good at the business part. I love live comedy though, and I love live audiences. My dream would be able to have enough people know about me. How that happens? Is it a late night set? Is it like a blooper reel? Is it like just touring and eventually building that audience over time? probably the most realistic version, uh, to, that I get to perform and headline at the 25 coolest comedy clubs in America every year, or 30 or 35, and that some dum-dum gives me a show on cable. It's got to be cable. I mean, it's not a network, or Netflix, or Hulu, or whatever they come up with, Zip Zop, or whatever they come up with next week, where I get to do something like a drunk history, or what about Friday rabbit hole shit, uh, but I think that uh, trying to, it's important to have goals and I have goals about getting funnier and material and other things and doing shows in certain places. My goals tend to be between one and four steps ahead of me because I also don't want to limit my vision. Like would I like to be world famous and all those things I mentioned and so I'm the Beyonce of fucking comedy? Sure. But the best way for me to do that is every day, you know, I, I edit a fucking flip chart video or I'm printing out stuff or I, I have somebody not help me um, clip some things because it was, I, I was, I had too much on my plate or I, I'm trying to get to feature at certain clubs or in a different time, you know, I'm trying to get past, I was very close to being past the New York club and the final audition, of course, got canceled. Like, every, everybody has a story like that, so I'm not, like, whining. It's just being able to get past of these New York clubs, being able to get past, it's not always a formal way, but getting booked at some of these really cool indie clubs that really love it when this chick with a flip chart comes um, and sells out, you know, flip chart fans in Minneapolis or wherever it is. I mean, that's, those are 
the next few steps, but I have no limits about what comes after that. I have too many, I have a thousand weird ideas every day, so I'm not going to try to pin myself down. Yeah, that's fantastic. So the last question. Is it though, Amy? I mean, is it? I don't know. I think so. I think it's good to have ambition and goals and everything. I, I like, I'm really glad like I connected with you and so many other I can't hear you. I'm sorry. Oh, no. Um, I'm just said I'm glad to connect with you and other women comics in the area. You're all really inspiring, you know? We're fine. <laughs> no, it's true. But I mean, this is my one piece of advice um, for any comic starting out, female, male, or anyone who's been doing it 20 years longer than me, is always be prepared to come to the conclusion of like, like low key, fuck that fucking guy. Like always have that in your head, not from that like, you don't take it, like I didn't, it's not that I don't think I need notes or improvement, but I didn't ask you for any, so don't give it. You don't think you're not gonna book me? I'm gonna go around you. I'm gonna go someplace else. Don't get so, there's places that I would be really upset if I couldn't perform or I'm upset because I can't perform there and they don't book me very much or whatever. And I would absolutely do it if they called me tomorrow, but until then, kind of low-key, fuck that thing, fuck them. Not in a mean way, not in like I want them to die or I think they're terrible, it's just like, eh, fuck that, I'm gonna go around it, I'm gonna do something else. Because if you just get caught up on these, like a couple of places that maybe don't book you that much, you're gonna have to be a little more resilient than that and you're gonna have to MacGyver this shit, um, so. Like, we all want approval. We all want to get in certain places, but you got to be flexible enough to find different ways to do what you want to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> um, so my last question that kind of like touches into the last question is- Because I only have another three hours to answer it. So what's something that you wish um, someone told you when you first started you know, doing comedy? Nothing. I wish somebody had told me when I was 10 that it would be fine to be a performer. But by the time I started doing comedy, I'd been on the other side. So let me see if I can have a better, I'll give you a different answer to that question. So since I was on the other side for a number of years before, mm -hmm. um, and it's, um, you want to be successful in comedy, take care of your money. I don't mean you have to be rich or have a big paying day job. I, there is a big difference between being broke and being burdened with debt. And I don't need to tell that anybody coming out of college, it's almost inevitable that people have enormous student loan debt, but um, nowadays, um, and I still have some from law school, but I would, don't try, you do have to have some money to go do things and take, I mean, sometimes you're getting paid for a gig, but by the time you find a place to sleep and gas money or whatever, you know, it's taking what you can't live off what you net from that. So I would say find out what people are getting paid. If you're offered a gig, find someone who's done that gig and find out what they got paid. Keep a day job. You know what? You don't want a day job because you think it interferes with your comedy. No, I, 
all these com a lot of comics they try to waitress and bartend and that's when the comedy is you know all the real paying times at like thursday through sunday let's say you know in the evening so find a way to get some kind of day job you don't have to love it uh that's going to finance you so you're in a position to be able to take care of those jobs and also that you don't have to quit comedy because you decided i'm going to try to do this full time but now you're in debt or now you can't afford to pay for anything i produced a comedy festival that put me massively in debt and then the financial crisis came and we didn't ever whatever all kinds of problems so really the thing i would say is figure out a way to take care of your money and it doesn't mean be rich and it doesn't mean never do comedy full time. It just means that if you want to take advantage of some of these things before you are even anywhere near a full time comic, you need money and you need the flexibility to get a, some kind of job, whatever this means to you, that will pay you enough money that you don't feel so downtrodden that you feel like you have to just quit comedy altogether and find some kind of real job. So find some kind of job and it's different for everyone, that's gonna give you whatever living you need to be okay, comfortable, not worried about food and the lights staying on, and then get really good and take advantage of the flexibility of the hours or working remotely or whatever it is to go as many places you can go and do comedy. And also, especially if you're female, Make sure you're getting paid what you're supposed to be getting paid. And I don't even know what it what is all the time. And I used to be a manager agent. It was a long time ago. <laughs> well, thank you so much. That was great insight and advice and everything. This is so much fun having a conversation with you. And I'm like just so excited to see everything you do in the future. Well, thank you. And good luck with you. Where are, are you applying? I know you have the one job, but so you're still, you're getting your certificate and you're looking for a job in marketing production. What's your favorite thing to do in marketing production? Oh man, I'm really into like social media marketing and kind of like just connecting people there. Um, yeah. Especially through Twitter and like, you know, Instagram. I just, I love it. Just social media. Well, I, I just asked, I'll just keep my eye out if anything pops up where I work or somebody, so you want to be in DC? Yeah, so I'm I'm from uh, Montgomery County, Maryland. Uh -huh. Yeah, so I'm hoping to get something in the area. At least. I'm in Montgomery County, Maryland right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a weird time, but I'll keep my ears open. Thank you. I really appreciate that. All right. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Yeah, I'll find you. Definitely. Okay.